Well, good morning, my friends. This is podcast number 529. We're in the book of Revelation. Uh, this is for Wednesday, the 20th of April, and I pray that you are well. Um, the last few days we've been looking at chapter 4. We'll continue to look there. There is so much, so much in just these first two verses that I want to continue to concentrate on them. We've been looking at the sovereignty of God, the fact that God is in control. And I and I don't think it's an accident that we're looking at it at this time and the way that history is um, <clears throat> being reshaped. Uh, a lot of things on this continent, a lot of things around the world are happening that um, that look like chaos and look like the world is out of control and yet we're reminded today that God is in complete control. Well, let me pray for us uh, before I preach too much and let's get into this. Lord, I ask you to open our eyes and enhance our understanding so that we can grasp what you want us to learn today. I also ask you to enable us by your spirit to apply the truths we learn to our daily lives and to be guided moment by moment by your word. Grab your Bibles and your notepads and pens and let's go to Revelation 1-3, our memory verse. And again, if you're driving your car, you don't have to grab anything. You can just stay, hold on to the wheel and listen. Revelation 1-3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. And then we turn to our, our verses today in Revelation chapter 4 and you say we were there yesterday and we were there the day before. Well, we're still here. Um, we're looking at verses 2 and 3 again. They're tied together. At once I was in the spirit, John talking. And behold, a throne, underlined throne, stood in heaven with one seated on the throne, underlined throne. We're going to see that, um, we're not going to look at every one of them today, but 40 times in the in the uh in the Bible, in, in excuse me, in the book of Revelation, we see uh, the term the throne mentioned, uh, which is uh, about three quarters of all of the New Testament occurrences. So what are we looking at here in Revelation chapter 40 when we're talking about the throne? It's, it's significant, right? Because two thirds of the mention of a throne in the New Testament are in the book of Revelation. So it must be something important. Verse 3, and he who sat there on had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Now, we're just going to look at these two verses, but we're going to look at more verses, obviously, because we're looking at the throne. Um, we're going to go ahead and, and peer back into the Old Testament and kind of peel it back as well. And notice in this verse that John doesn't really try to describe the one who sits on the throne. He describes someone sitting on it. But uh, his description is not like what John described in chapter 1 where he tried to describe Jesus and he described his hair and he described his eyes and he described his feet um, and he described his voice. John doesn't do that. He really focuses on a couple things, but more, more than that, he focuses on the fact that there is someone seated on the throne. Write that off to the side. There is someone seated on the throne. I don't know what you're going through today, and I don't know what your your view of what's going on in the world, but understand this, there is someone still seated on the throne, and we know who he is. So let's go to the Old Testament for a few scriptures. First Kings chapter 22 and verse 19. First Kings chapter 22 verse 19. 
says, and Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all of the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. We're looking at a situation, a, a difficult time in the the time of the Israel and the time of the kings. And Micaiah the prophet says, I hear the word of the Lord. And here's what it is. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. Uh, I just want you to know that no matter what's going on, he says, God is on his throne and all of the host of heaven standing beside him and his right hand and on his left. He has not left us and no one else is in charge. God is on his throne. And the same is true today. Turn to Psalm, the book of Psalm 47 and verse 8. Psalm 47 and verse 8 says, God reigns over the nations, not just the nation of Israel. Underline nations. God sits on his holy throne. God is in charge of everything that happens. Now, what if I don't like what happens? God is still in charge of what happens, even if we don't like it. We don't always and many times will not understand what God's purposes are for a situation, but we need to know that God is still on his throne. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. Many of you know this portion of scripture. It's from Isaiah's vision. And this is before Isaiah was busy about the Lord's business. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Imagine this vision, if you will. Put yourself in the story. The train of God's temple filled the entire, or his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now we know he didn't see him eyeball to eyeball. He saw the presence of this King, the King of Kings, and what what happened to him? He was undone. I said it the other day. Uh, I've heard people say, Pastor, when I get to heaven, I'm just going to go right up to God and say, why did you do this? Why did you do that? And I just don't believe that's true. I believe that the, what's going to happen is what John uh, experienced um, on the Isle of Patmos when he saw Jesus and he fell at his feet as a dead man and what he's trying to describe. And it's undescribable of what he sees in heaven. And this is the God who is in charge of your everyday life. He's in charge of every situation that affects you. Ezekiel chapter one, Ezekiel's vision of God. And this is a um, an unusual one because we see more of the humanness in this um, vision. Ezekiel one, <clears throat> and above the expanse over their heads, there was a likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire and seated upon 
uh, the likeness was the throne was of the throne was a likeness with a human appearance and upward from what had the appearance of his waist. I saw it were gleaming metal like the appearance of fire and closed all around and downward from what had the appearance of his waist. I saw that it was uh, the appearance of fire and there was brightness around him like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. Remember the promise from Genesis chapter nine. Uh, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. And when I saw it, what did I do? I saw it, the likeness. I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. God is about to use Ezekiel in a powerful way. But in order to do that, he really needs to show him who he is. And so he begins to do that. And what does God do in the New Testament to make God known to us? He sends his son, John chapter 1, verse 14, and he wraps him in human flesh so that we can experience and know God, because Jesus told his followers in John chapter 14, if you've seen me, Philip, you've seen the Father, I and the Father are one. To know me is to know the Father. And so God reveals himself in Jesus Christ and, and shows himself to us and walks among us and pays the price for your sin and for mine. And all of this is for the glory of God. It's for our benefit, but it's all for the glory of God. And as John is looking into heaven and he's trying to describe this, he's just realizing there is no description. Look at uh, 1 Timothy, a couple scriptures in 1 Timothy, chapter 1. 1 Timothy, chapter 1. Last night, um, we had a friend over, David, is just, 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 I love him. And he loves to talk scripture and he loves to talk about revelation and Daniel and prophecy. And so we were, we were, we were talking about it. We were talking about this revelation, this beautiful picture of God revealing himself in chapter four. He remember invited John up. He said, come up here to show John that all of the things that he was showing him uh, uh, came from this throne room where God is seated on the throne. Look at First Timothy chapter one. Paul describing uh, our God in First Timothy chapter one verse seventeen says, "To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible." Why does he say invisible? Because God is a spirit. John chapter four twenty four. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. But John. Or Paul saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, on the on uh, on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter nine. The other disciples walked with Jesus in human flesh, John chapter one and verse fourteen. But Paul saw him in his resurrected appearance on the road to Damascus, and it blinded him. He was temporarily blind, and then in Second Corinthians, I believe it's chapter twelve, he's. Um, vaulted into the third heaven. And so what he saw there, we don't know because he couldn't describe it. But he says he's uh, the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. And here he's talking about um, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the incredible um, truths about him, that he is the king of the ages, he is immortal, he is invisible, he's the only God. Now turn a few pages over to First Timothy chapter 6. I sound like I'm preaching today, but I'm just excited 
about the word of God and excited about the fact that my destiny is in the hands of God. I'm tired of people saying you control your own destiny. You don't. You don't. Your days were numbered before you were born. God had a plan for your life and God wants to um, to reveal that plan to you. And we do that. He does that as we submit to him. Romans chapter 12, verses one through three. You can look that up later. Look at 1 Timothy 6 and verse 16. Talking about our Savior, he says, Who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be the honor and eternal dominion forever. Talking about God and how he was unapproachable. The the, the Father God is unapproachable, but he sent his Son wrapped in human flesh so that he became approachable for you and for me. That is exciting. That should be exciting to us. Gordon Fee talking about uh, Revelation chapter 4 verse 3 and this description of the stones. He says this. uh, These are the first and last of the 12 stones mentioned in the description of the breastplate of the high priest. And they're both red. So go to Revelation chapter 4 verse 3 and let's just be reminded of what what John says here. Remember John's doing his best. And he isn't even trying to describe God. So he describes something about it. He said, and he sat there, he who sat there had the appearance of the appearance of these two stones, Jasper and Carnelian. And, and around the throne, there was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. <coughs> these two stones, he says, are um, um, both red. The Jasper stone probably representing majesty, holiness, and purity. The carnelian stone signifies the wrath or the judgment. See, God is both on this throne. He is pure. He is awesome. He is holy. He is majestic. And he's also the righteous judge who sits on the throne. And then John says, I saw a rainbow that looked like an emerald surrounding the throne. Remember in uh, Genesis, let's go there, chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. After the flood, after the destruction of the earth, God promises that's not going to happen in that way ever again. Look at Genesis 9 verse 13. It says, I've set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all the flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living living creature of all flesh on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. God established establishes his covenant with Noah to never destroy the earth with a flood again. And what a beautiful promise this is. So if you put together this, uh, this picture around the throne. Now remember, around the throne, it's no longer a bow. It's a complete rainbow because everything in heaven is complete. So it's surrounded with this beautiful bow. And it looks like an emerald, he says, and it's, it's, it's just absolutely gorgeous. So if we put the bow together and we put the, the stones together, we put them all together, we see we have a vision of God's majesty, God's splendor, 
God's glory and God's faithfulness. He is beyond description in appearance and utterly reliable in his promises. He is awesome, magnificent, transcendent, and spectacular. There is no other God like our God. And that is what I wanted to bring to you today. I want you to understand that no matter what you're going through, no matter what your um, your situation is, even if you've brought it on, even if out of your poor choices and the things that you have done, you have put yourself in a situation where you feel like God can't possibly know where I'm at or care where I'm at and God can't possibly love me anymore. Can I tell you that God is madly in love with you? He's not mad at you. He spared not his only son, Romans 8, 32. He factored in your sinfulness. He factored in your arrogance. He factored in your mistakes, just like he factored in mine. And I look in the mirror sometimes, and at the end of the day sometimes, and I wonder what in the world drives me to make the mistakes that I make. And then I understand that I'm still in this flesh, and I'm still tempted by sin, and I need to go to my God, and I need to ask him for forgiveness. He doesn't re-save me. He cleanses me from that sin, and we're back in right, intimate relationship because the Bible says when I ask for his forgiveness, I come to him, and I'm repentant, and I'm humble. He forgives me and cleanses me from all unrighteousness. Again, I'm not re-saved. You're not re-saved, but you're cleansed from the mistakes or the sins of the day, and we need to do that. We need to keep short accounts, as they say, and we need to not wallow in our sin or pet our sin or play with our sin. We need to repent of our sin. The God that's on the throne is not only beautiful and majestic and pure, he's the righteous judge who must judge sin. But aren't you thankful that he placed all of that on his son, Jesus Christ, and paid the price, and because of Christ living his sinless, perfect life, and being willing to become the sacrificial lamb. My sin goes to him, and his righteousness comes to me. I couldn't approach him. I couldn't find forgiveness on my own. But because of the price that Jesus Christ paid, my life is in his hands. And no matter how shaky things look, and you may be a mess, but you're God's mess, God loves you and cares for you. So come to him and ask him to forgive this sin and be in be back in right relationship with the Lord because if we harbor sin in our life, if we if we play with sin, if we if we hold on to sin, the Bible says he will not hear our prayers. So I'd ask you this morning just to submit those things to the Lord. First John tells us that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And know this, God is still on the throne. Let me pray. In Second Peter 3.18, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. God bless you. Until we talk again.